0: Hello, I'm Wayne Park and welcome to Oikonomics, a podcast about the science of ministry, work, administration, and the summing up of everything. Keep coming back for relevant teachings and talks on these subjects and more. Please enjoy the show. I want to welcome my new listeners who are enrolled in my SF-506 class, Reflections on Vocation. Welcome to this new journey of seminary. As you learn theology, as you learn scriptures and counseling, may this be the beginning of a lifelong journey of learning, a love of learning, and may it be a uh, profoundly formative for you. That's my hope that this class will be for you. So we're beginning in a book by the former president of Fuller Theological Seminary, Mark Labberton, and he writes a book that is titled Called. And that is the book that we're beginning this class with. Uh, You'll be reading this book along the way during this week, or perhaps you've read it already. I'd like to kind of give us some introduction to uh, who, the author of this book, my own personal interactions with him, began back in early 2022 when he invited me to consider applying, oh goodness, back on that fateful spring day, for the role that I am currently in as chancellor of the Texas campus of Fuller Seminary. Now, since then, we've spoken numerous times in person and at meetings uh, in leadership contexts, but also specifically over the phone when he would call me up on my cell to discuss some leadership matter. Now, I've always liked that about him. I've liked that, that he would call and he would say, Wayne, is this a good time? Do you have a few minutes? And invariably, a few minutes would turn into a longer discussion where we would catch up, where he would really, as a leader, care for me and inquire about how things were going in Houston. And then we would discuss various leadership matters. And what I've liked about that is that in this day and age, you know, it's really easy to just fire off an impersonal email and request some kind of a report or an update on something. But there there's a real ministry to calling people, and it's important. Because both for the person who's calling in order to build a relationship with somebody, but also for the person being called because you feel special. You feel special in many senses um, that the president of the seminary would call me or this professor reached out to talk to me. This experience of being called is a profoundly life-changing experience. Sure, we're not just talking about phone calls now, but the privilege of being called, invited into a relationship, invited into a dialogue, to have your number called to be called up, these are all special privileges and honors that we experience deeply and profoundly. Conversely, when we are not called, that can be a harmful and a painful experience, really. I remember one of the harder things I had to go through as a young adult in my early Christian years was witnessing around me my friends one by one get quote unquote, called into ministry. Somebody would come back from a revival or from a prayer weekend or a retreat and say, Somewhat piously, God has called me into ministry. And the rest of us would kind of look at each other and blink and 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 remark with awe, how did that how did how do you know? And how did God speak to you? And and somewhat enviously I remember as one by one I watched my friends get called into ministry, I waited. And for that matter, I wondered, how does someone get called to ministry? And the longer I waited and the more I wondered, I heard crickets chirping. Nothing. No call, no heavenly sign, no powerful burning bush moment. And so I continually puzzled over how god called people even even to the marketplace because there were some who could say quite confidently at the young age of 19 years old i feel called to be a business person or i feel called to be a homemaker or i feel called to work in this or that capacity and even that i still want how do you know how do you know how did god come to you And I'm guessing that there's more than one of you, more than several of you listening to this podcast who have asked that same question you might be asking it right now. In many ways, let this course, SF506, be your processing of this experience of working through the understanding of calling, but also growing in your discernment and in this experience of call as not just a one-time thing. but something that grows. You see, perhaps like me, some of you feel more than a little forlorn when your number is not called. It's a painful experience, and it's one that we will work through, God willing, together in this class. This continued on, I remember, until the fateful summer of 1996. Uh, I was, at that time, 19 years old, and my, my phone, and I quote, my, my phone finally rang with the call so loud and clearly that I could jealously boast it rang louder than everyone else's calls. You see, you're going to hear in the, in the course of this class Uh, a a slight chip on my shoulder. (laughs) You think you are called to ministry. Well, I'll tell you what a real call (laughs) looks like. And you'll hear this chip on my shoulder, which really through this call experience, I was able to fully embrace this chip. Uh, Not unlike Paul the Apostle, whom I will reference later in this class as somebody I, I really identify with precisely because of his temperamental nature. You see, you would think that somebody with that kind of temperament would be disqualified from ministry, would be disqualified from being used by God. And yet I experienced that one could be called as a trophy of God's grace, warts and all, that God could proudly use one such as Paul. Therefore, God could even use one such as me. And to the extent where I could confidently say like Paul, in Second Corinthians eleven verse twenty-three, are they servants of Christ? I more so. I more so. Now, I hope you don't uh, misinterpret what I'm saying as as uh, a boastfulness, which is exactly what what Paul would say. Um, but more so that you can hear kind of the the crisis of calling that I had to go through, um, the jealousy that I experienced, and the depth. Of the call when I finally did hear it you see when my metaphorical phone finally rang with a phone, with a call the call said two things there were two things that I heard on the on the line and the voice said first "I love you." and the second thing that the voice said was "Will you follow me Wayne I love you. Will you follow me? And that's it. That's it. Now, mind you, it was not an audible voice. It was a voice that I heard in my soul, you could say. Um, I'm going to use the word existential, existential uh, quite a bit in this class. Um, and that's an important notion that this was not something that uh, is is rationally or objectively grounded. It was a voice that I knew and I knew. It was indisputable to the point that no one could convince me that I had heard otherwise or that I'd heard wrong. I knew with beyond the shadow of a doubt, backed up by scripture as well, because everything there, I love you. Will you follow me? These are words of scripture that in a sense I was speaking back to myself. Now, um, Goodness, uh, 1996. The, these are decades later. I've learned that speaking these words out loud, Wayne, I love you. Will you follow me? It's a little bit weird because I'm talking to myself, but I've learned now that this is a technique in in psychology and counseling, and um, you're you're going to find that Fuller uh, goes to great great lengths to integrate theology. With psychology, and I think that's one of the wonderful things about our school, um, but I was learning how to address my own inner child with all of my in- insecurities, all of my um, trauma that I've experienced throughout my life, as many of you have also experienced. I was learning how to calm or to speak back to my inner child with words that, as a child, I exactly needed to hear Wayne I love you will you follow me words that I knew my God was saying to me words that I was subsequently speaking out loud to myself and I could only respond with warm and deep almost primal tears now, you might say, well, yeah, that's that's a call, but that's not really a call. And I would push back and say, you bet it was a call. It was a call to be the beloved, and it was a call to follow Christ. And in some ways, I would say, what more do we need? Why do we need to agitate for more... More detailed callings as if you're going to become a person in this type of ministry, in this city, to this group of people at this time of your life. I mean, you know, I almost, you you can almost hear the jealousy in my voice that I almost pushed that notion away because I felt like I found the thing that mattered the most. I found the greater calling. Now, hear me out. I do think that it is important for us to be able to discern the secondary callings, the callings that come with greater specificity to specific works and labors. And there are, I would even go so far as to say, techniques and tools to discernment, and you're going to learn some of those in this class. But I would be amiss if I jumped into those secondary tools and tricks of the trade to know who you're supposed to be when you grow up, if I did not ground every single one of you as my students in the primary call of a beloved relationship with Christ, to be the beloved, and secondly, to follow Christ. I'm so glad that we're reading Labberton's book first because these are the same exact primary calls that he identifies as foundational for every Christian. Again, close the book right there ground yourself in that primary call of being the beloved and second to follow christ if you have that you have everything you need mark labberton says in, in uh, on page 45 in his book in relationship to these primary callings to be the beloved and to follow christ all the rest is secondary all the rest is secondary Now mind you, I'm not trying to dismiss, I know I keep kind of sound like, it sounds like I'm trying to dismiss the secondary things, but the thing is, we want to ground you in this. At Fuller Seminary, we want to ground you in these things. You see, if you jealously, jealously possess these two primary callings as your own, it will ground you in a way that secondary callings can never do. It will ground you in a way that secondary callings can never do. Because I tell you the truth, those friends of mine who felt called to ministry, a lot of them did not turn out that great. You might even know, there's people that you know that they say, I've been called to this thing or I've been called to go to this place or do this work and it doesn't always turn out that great. After all, we're going to talk about how ministry is the unpredictable plant. It will have twists and turns, even if you heard right. Even if you heard right, it will have twists and turns. It is the unpredictable plant. And so, it is vital, it is vital, incredibly vital, that we ground you on these primary callings to be the beloved and to follow Christ. From there, you cannot go wrong and you can do no wrong. So, what I'm going to do today is address that first call to be the beloved. And in the next episode, I'm going to talk about the call to follow. Both of these are primary callings from which secondary callings can derive. But the first call, Is to be the beloved. To be the beloved. Labberton says quite clearly on page one hundred, our first vocation is to be the beloved. This is your first vocation, before anything else, before your call to any context or any specific ministry. Your first vocation is to be the beloved. I pray that every single one of you will know this deeply, profoundly, and existentially, not just rationally or just as a head knowledge, but that you will experience it. That's what I mean when I say existential, that you will experience this uh, in a sublime way that nothing can refute it, nothing can, can cause you to doubt this calling. You might doubt your calling to ministry or your calling to this place or this work or the marketplace. You might doubt that calling, but you must never, you must never doubt your call to be the Beloved. Now, for me, I'm going to use this opportunity um, to tell you my own experience of, of my existential call to be the Beloved. And I'm going to use this biographical detour as a way of self-introduction so that you get to know your professor. I grew up in the Korean American church in Queens, New York, which is a borough of New York City. And it was such a strong community of faith that even though it was New York, like metropolitan New York City, it could have been a small Amish town. I mean my goodness we were so close and and our whole lives revolved around the church that I could have been living in a small backwater town really my faith accordingly it was very provincial it was protected it was safe and it was a good place for my faith to grow and this experience it continued until I went to college in Manhattan I was just north of Greenwich Village, and I studied at the New School for Social Research, uh, a place that I like to joke, where Christian faith thrives. Not. It was. It challenged everything I believed. Good Lord. Uh, By my by, the middle of my freshman year, I was a scared puppy. Uh, Growing up in this tight-knit, almost a small town of the Korean-American church in Queens, and suddenly in Greenwich Village, New York City, it was being thrust into a larger world of pluralism. I remember being drawn to a particular professor, and he had graduated with a theology degree. So I said, interesting, I I want to study with him, a theology degree from Harvard Divinity. And he taught philosophy at the new school. But gradually, as I took more and more classes with him, I I began to get the sense, even though he didn't say this explicitly, I began to get the sense that he had abandoned his faith. And yet at the same time, his teaching mesmerized me. And it began to show me a world beyond the provincial confines of my church upbringing. And so combined with this experience of being in New York City, Manhattan, in this plurality of beliefs and cultures and religions and worldviews, I was also literally having my own worldview, I wouldn't say smashed, but placed in context among so many philosophical worldviews. And I don't know if I can say that my faith was slipping But I definitely was beginning to experience feelings of being overwhelmed, maybe even fear, fear, because I gradually began to understand that there was a lot more to the world than just my small cosmos, that in fact, the world and all of the perspectives, I mean, I began to realize quite explicitly, I remember, what if I grew up, what if I grew up in a different community? but just of a different religion. Would I not be as as fiercely loyal to my faith and my tradition? And whew, that thought alone, I remember it just messed me up. Am I a Christian just because of where I was born, who I was born? Questions like that began to assail me, assail me. And the feelings of fear, okay, I'll admit, they were real. More than doubt guys, I was just afraid. I was afraid that now that I was being ex- exposed to so many bigger things that I was going to have to go west, young man, that I was going to have to leave my small village to confront this world that I knew was out there, but that I could no longer deny. I could no longer deny this world. And I had to go out. Part of me just wanted to hole up and climb into a blanket and just live in my Korean church community and just just hide and, and let that be my world. But I knew I would be lying to myself, that I inevitably would be confronted with this smallness of my perspective. And it even meant maybe shedding my provincial religion in the process. Oh, that scared me. I mean, in many ways, God, my tradition, my culture, my people were all kind of jumbled up in one hot mess. Who am I, I thought. I'm a product of my my environment. Warm, loving, please. I'm I'm not talking down on my culture. Warm and loving, safe. But I knew that there was more out there. And I knew that I could not deny not only what I saw, but what I was learning. I could no longer deny it, and goodness, it scared the pants off of me. Was I going to be able to find my way back to God in the midst of all of this? I felt like uh, the proverbial child in the forest who left a breadcrumb trail that was eaten and could not find a way back to my faith, neither intellectually nor existentially. Now, mind you, the intellectual part, it would come back later. I would find an intellectual way back to my faith, and hopefully you will hear, you will hear those, those intellectual perspectives as I teach for the, the, the better part of this quarter. But the existential part had to come first. For me, I needed to know that God was real. I needed to know that God could reach out to me. When in the morass of all of my paradigms being, incli- being eclipsed relentlessly, my worldview being overshadowed by many worldviews, it was relentless, my experience at the new school, my experience of college, and this constant fear of having to live in these new rea- realities I now was witnessing. In the midst of all of that morass, I finally, finally heard the words that grounded me on something. I could not figure my way out. And the funny thing is, you know, in my first classes, in my first classes um, at the New School, my first philosophy classes, you know, they didn't even teach us metaphysics. They didn't ground us in Plato and Aristotle and Socrates. They didn't ground us. They tossed us into the deep end of postmodern theory. Good Lord, I didn't even know what I was debunking, and yet I had this vague sense that the ground underneath me became immaterial. I no longer had foundations. And goodness, I feel like uh, this was much to my professor's relish, the man who had apostated from his own faith, although he had a theology degree from Harvard Div- Divinity. I was terrified. And yet in the midst of this morass and this assailing of my worldviews, I finally heard the words soundlessly yet forcefully. Wayne, I love you. Can some of you actually say that out loud right now, speaking to you, yourself, speaking to your inner child, as it were, Maybe that's exactly what you need to be hearing from God. Pause just for a moment. Fill in your name there and follow it with the words I love you. For me to hear those words, I mean, in that season of my life, I would have died. For anyone who said that to me. And thankfully, I knew that it was God. I knew that it was Christ who was saying, Wayne, I love you. I mean, okay, call me easy. Call me a pushover. But that at that time was exactly what I needed to hear. Somebody to make me feel safe, to ground me again, to hold me, to keep me, to guard me to put the ground back back beneath my feet to be loved. I think that's what we all need. We all need to know that there is something real, real that we can stand on. Warm tears communicated my deep gratitude to that divine and silent presence, and yet speaking very loudly. My response, thank you. What will you have me do? What will you have me do, Lord? Will you have me become a minister? Will you have me go into this job or that job? You know, you can guess what came next. And that was really what really opened the floodgates, I remember, at that young age. What will you have me do, Lord? I want to know what my calling is. Follow me. Follow me. But I don't want to get to that just yet. Before we talk about the call to follow, There are still a few additional reflections I'd like to make about this existential quality of the call to be the beloved. Hopefully, I don't have to convince any of you how essential being is before doing. You might have heard this, you might understand this, that you can't just do ministry, but we have to be. Being precedes doing. The problem is ministry and Christian leadership, it can suck you into a world of doing. It'll suck you right in without sufficient reflection on being. That's why you go to seminary. And hopefully seminary done right will cause you to pause and reflect on the being before the doing. Because if you are thrust into a world of doing without consideration and adequate reflection on the being aspect, it, it could lead to many dangers and crises ahead. A foundational basis that is irrefutable, that can stand on your being the beloved, being the beloved, this will be able to withstand all of the forthcoming vicissitudes that you're going to invariably face in ministry or in the marketplace, in life. In life, and I can tell you, since that first call when 19 years old, and I'm in my deep into my 40s now, I've I've had high class problems. You know, some some people in some circles they'll say, you know, I have high class problems. I've had high class problems. I've gone through hard stuff, and I have not ap- apostated my faith. I've not given it up like that that professor. Why? Because I've been grounded on this one thing, this call to be beloved and the call to follow. My friends, my dear, dear friends, you will need something more than simply rational, academic or intellectual to ground you. You will need a vital spiritual encounter with Christ. And everything that we do at Fuller Seminary in these foundational spiritual formation classes, We're going to endeavor to facilitate those kind of encounters. Believe me. Prior to my role as chancellor of of the the Texas campus, I occupied various different roles, and I remember starting as a as a TA and as a, a a vocation formation leader and a facilitator of spiritual practices. Many times, I recall in our group meetings, and you're going to have meetings with your vocation formation guide. Um. I think now we call it spiritual formation. And in your in your spiritual formation groups, you are going to have opportunities to listen, to listen for the voice of God, to listen to the existential call. And I remember seeing some of my students, and this is so powerful, as they would have these encounters with Christ and I could see them processing so much life circumstances in their first classes in seminary And seeing some of these dear, dear ones weep heavy and hot and heaving tears. And goodness, in some contexts, these were with students from around the world even. And yet I could sense the Spirit of God through the Zoom meeting as these people were processing a lifetime of struggle, high-class problems, and the hot, heavy, heaving tears and sobs as finally they hear in their hearts My beloved, I finally, finally found you. And you know what's better? I would travel and go to these places and I would meet these students. And I would see these students years later, many classes in, several years into their program. And you know what I would see? I would see brightness. I would see healing. I would see... Not just maturity, but vibrancy, like I would see some of these students years later, and you could just see that they're not just being intellectually formed in seminary, but they are being existentially formed, spiritually formed, more whole, more holy, more healthy. and and I, I do not exaggerate. I kid you not. it is it is beautiful to behold how God has grounded. These students who've gone through hell and high water to get here and have finally, finally heard, not the call to ministry or the call to the marketplace or the call even to seminary, but the call to belong, to be the beloved, and to spend a couple of years, two, three, maybe more, to just learn how to be. I want to finish with one of the most moving stories for me that, that since a young age I've kept with me all these years. It's a letter, it's a personal letter written from Fyodor Dostoevsky, the Russian author. You're probably familiar with The Brothers Karamazov or The Idiot, some of his other works. Um, Fyodor Dostoevsky is certainly one who you could characterize as having an existential experience of being the beloved of Christ. And he, and it's not—you won't find this in any of his books. It's in a personal letter that he he writes to, um, to a, a personal acquaintance of his. And we have this today. And this is what he says. Here are these words as I wrap up. I want to say to you about myself that I am a child of this age, a child of unfaith and skepticism, and probably, indeed, I know it. I probably shall remain so to the end of my life. How dreadfully has it tormented me and torments me even now, this longing for faith, which is all the stronger for the proofs I have against it. You hear that? He's saying his faith, his doubt becomes stronger. Even the more proofs he has for faith, his doubt becomes even stronger. And yet, and this is the kicker, and yet, God gives me sometimes moments of perfect peace. In such moments, I love and believe that I am loved. In such moments, I have formulated my creed wherein all is clear and holy to me. This creed is extremely simple. Here it is. I believe that there is nothing lovelier Nothing deeper, nothing more sympathetic, nothing more rational, and nothing more perfect than the Savior. I say to myself with jealous love that not only is there no one else like him, but that there could be no one. I would even say more. If anyone could prove to me that Christ is outside the truth, and if the truth really did exclude Christ— I should prefer to stay with Christ and not with truth. Now I for one believe that Christ is truth. He is the noble. He is the beautiful. He is the good. And we need not doubt that. We can trust and rest in those words. As you begin a new journey in seminary, open yourself up to this Christ who is calling you today, the beloved? Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to learn more, visit us online at www.oikonomics.com. That's O I K O N O M I K S.com.